All right. In lieu of an actual cold open topic this week, Jonathan finally did something he's been saying he's going to do for 40 weeks now. (laughs) (laughs) Almost a year. (laughs) Three months shy, actually, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that was watch the great Ziegfeld. Yeah. Which, of course, he was not on the episode. Uh, Our producer, Trav, was on the episode with us. and we wanted to catch Jonathan's thoughts on this so that they are on record for the podcast. Yeah. Movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I want my three hours back. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what the movie was supposed to be about. I thought, like, all right, here's a character I basically don't care about. And he's apparently <laughs> beefing with the Wizard of Oz. And <laughs> yeah. But they're best friends, so it's like that frenemy competitor thing. It's like, you know what? Yeah. Whatever. We'll see where this goes. And then I find out that I'm pretty sure at least half the movie has nothing to do with any story whatsoever. It's just these boring fucking shows that they're putting on, at <laughs> least after the uh, the intermission. Mm. And I, it just kept fucking going to the point where I was like, all right, I'm skipping over some of this because i'm like how long is this show <laughs> get it it's a show it's a brand new show it's his new show like all right cool like 15 minutes later it finally ends like that's too long and then they do another one after like five minutes of story arc like <laughs> yeah. I, it was boring and you know of course there's the uh the blackface shows and just uh, oh man it was just god awful yeah, that's. I think that was kind of a thing I tripped on myself. Uh, well, the, oh, the episode was on where it's like, I mean, on one hand, it's a blackface show. On the other hand, there was probably actually blackface shows, so it's capturing the history correctly. Sure, <laughs> but yeah. the whole movie was pretty much just like a, a what's the word? A vehicle to show some Ziegfeld follies or whatever, and it's like right like a compilation of things that already existed, but presented many of them presented pretty in pretty ways, but sure. still boring, boring. Yeah. Like, yeah. Was there anything you did like about the film that I did like about the movie? Ah, oh, oh, man, three hours <laughs> of a stretch. I, I can't really think of like, I don't want to say anything like, not redeeming because there was a fairly decent movie in there somewhere, but it was buried. Yeah, it really needed to be typed up. Like, a lot. But uh, yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, like, I personally really like Michael Powell in the film. Sure. Mm. I think he did an excellent job for as long as that film was. Yeah, I, I, I just... Yeah, I don't think anybody in the movie was, like, any actors were bad. Um, yeah. Nobody really, though, I felt stood out that yeah. much. Oh, I like Scarecrow. Scarecrow. <laughs> uh, the guy who essentially played himself in the film was Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. The the goofy janitor guy that... Oh, the one that became the... Like, got to dancing and stuff. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, have you seen any other... Uh... I mean, you guys have joked about the story of Louis Pasteur. <laughs> have you seen that? Or Mr. Deeds Goes to Town? I've seen Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I've watched that a few times. That's a great film. Yeah. I'd, I'd rank that among my favorite Capra films. Yeah, it's really good. 
I was going to tee him up to ask him the <laughs> the uh, worsty judgment questions if, if he did do it. <laughs> do you think that movie deserved Best Picture? Um, see, that's how I generally base mine around the other movies around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me, you know, 40 weeks to get to this one. Um, no, no, even if I had probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just don't see this as a good film. Right. At all. Well, do you, do you think even including everything we've seen, is it bad enough to be the worst best picture? No, no. Okay. No, uh, most likely bottom most definitely bottom 10. Yeah. Probably bottom five. I have it sitting at 37 of 46 right now. Yeah. So it is my 10th. <laughs> yeah. It would be number 10 on my, my 10 worst. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's around there for me too. So yeah. General... I didn't make my list yet, but I now can make a Yay! list. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, now we've got the updated. It's a footnote of a movie in the history yeah. for us. That I will never watch again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. you damn beautiful people out there in podcast land my name is paul workman i'm jonathan pierce and i'm zach mccoy and we are your oscar grouches welcome back to the oscar podcast a show where we discuss oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the academy went wrong if they went wrong and what film are we watching this week jonathan today we're talking about the sting a film where steve borden plans revenge after the killing of his fellow grifter gordon sumner against an irish mob boss that joke this is, is everybody's. <laughs> that joke is really good. Um, is this everybody's first time watching the movie? Yes. No. No, as well. Zach, when was your first time? My first time was only five years ago. Um, I'd owned a copy of it, and I was like, "Hey, Caitlin, let's watch this Best Picture winner that's got, uh, you know, beautiful uh, men in it." So oh, beautiful men. <laughs> And, and we watched Yo. it, and, you know, I'll have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I yeah. think I, I'm pretty sure I watched this one in high school. Mm-hmm. It was one of those ones that my dad was pretty much like, oh, that's a really cool movie. You should watch that. Yeah. So I did, and I remember liking it then. Yeah. yeah. Shall we do an Oscar breakdown? Yeah. Break it down. All right. It is a beautiful April 2nd, 1974 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, Los Angeles, California. Uh, Our hosts for the evening are Burt Reynolds, Diana Ross, John Huston, and David Niven. Mm. So just another plethora of hosts tonight. Yeah. Uh, Our most nominated film on the evening is a tie between the exorcist and the sting at 10 apiece sting walks away with the most awards at seven all right uh sting wins best picture against american graffiti 
uh, giving Fran- uh, Nicholas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, his something like third or fourth nomination in four years. Yeah. Uh, Cries and Whispers, the Ingmar Bergman film, The Exorcist, and A Touch of Class. The Sting's producer, Julia Phillips, is the first woman to win Best Picture. Wow. Wow. Nice. Where are we at? We're at the uh, 46th Academy Awards, and she is the first woman, That's... first female producer to take home the statue. Congratulations. Wild, not surprising. Right. Good for her. Uh, George Roy Hill picks up Best Director for The Sting, beating out uh, George Lucas, making his first appearance in the category. Uh, Jack Lemmon wins Best Actor in Save the Tigers, making that his second Academy Award. Oh, wow. Uh, he beats out a murderer's row of actors, including Marlon Brando, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, and Robert Redford for The Sting. Damn. Yeah, uh, Jack Nicholson's up for the last detail. Yeah. That's a great film. I've never uh, even heard of that Jack Lemmon movie, to be honest. Save the Tiger? Yeah. I, I would never have heard of it if I didn't already know that he won Best Actor for it. Yeah. Uh, Best Actress goes to Glenda Jackson for A Touch of Class. I'll get to that. <laughs> um, Best Supporting Actor goes to John Houseman for The Paper Chase. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, making Tatum O'Neill the youngest uh, actor, I believe the youngest actor to win an Academy Award at this point. That, that sounds right. I feel like I've yes. heard that. Youngest actress to win an Oscar, surpassing yeah. the 16-year-old Patty Duke. Oh, there you go. Uh, Paper Moon, a Peter Bogdanovich film in which she co-stars with her father, Ryan O'Neill, yeah. who was, of course, the lead actor in Love Story, mm. the worst film ever. <laughs> ever. ever. You know, I just go with the hyperbole. Come on, guys. Don't ask these questions. <laughs> hyperbole. The epitome of hyperbole. It's def- definitely one of the stinkier <laughs> best pictures we've talked about. Best picture nominees. Yeah. Um, sure. And she beats out her co star in the film, Madeline Kahn. <laughs> Where would we know Madeline Kahn from? Uh, just about any uh, Mel Brooks film. Oh, yeah, that's right. In fact, well, we might be covering one of those next week. Ooh. Yes. No, 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 no. Yes. Not that one. No, 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 no. <laughs> yes. No, no, yes. No, 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 no. I could do the whole thing. Uh, all right. Um, and we come to my favorite category to say. Best story and screenplay based on factual material or material you're not previously published or produced. Goes to David S. Ward for The Sting. Uh, best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to William Peter Blatley, Blatley, Blatty for uh, adapting his own novel, The Exorcist. Mm. Best foreign language film goes to Day for Night, goes to France. Uh, best documentary feature goes to The Great American Cowboy. Uh, the great documentary Watt Stacks, not nominated. Whoa. Yep. That's how I feel about it, too. Best documentary short subject goes to Princeton, A Search for Answers. 
Mm-hmm. Best live action short subject goes to the Bolero. Best animated short subject goes to Frank Film. Frank Film? A 1973 an- American animated short film by Frank Morris. <laughs> okay. Mm. okay. Yep. Uh, best original dramatic score goes to The Way We Were. Best Scoring, original score, and adaptation or scoring adaptation goes to The Sting, adapted from, by Marvin Hamlish, who, if I'm not mistaken, is an e-godder. Oh. Uh, oh. And then he... Oh, he also won for Best Original Dramatic Score, so he took both of the score categories this night and then, mo- then moves yes. on over to Best Song and wins for The Way We Were from The Way We Were. <laughs> wow. Beating out... Oh, go on. No, I was just saying, wow. So that's three right there in a row. Yeah, three three in a row on one night. That's dang. Yeah, he. Have we had any egotters yet? We had one, didn't we? Uh, Helen Hank. Like, yeah. How, yeah. Do, how do you mean? Have we had them? Have we discussed and like have has anybody egotted? Yeah, yeah. We discussed point? Helen Hayes, uh, who won for okay. Airport in 1970. Mm-hmm. She was the that's first person right. to egot. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have to go through and see all who has gotten EGOTs, but I think Rogers and Hammerstein did. Gotcha. Um, also best song, uh, the way we were from the way we were beats out live and let die by Paul McCartney and wings. Mm. My favorite bond theme. Oh, uh, and best song, sorry. Best song brings us to our podcast within a podcast. Uh, yeah. best, uh both of the original scores did too. I was so busy looking at Marvin Hamlish, I completely botched this whole podcast <laughs> with my podcast, which is called John the Williams worst. Oscar Watch. Uh, so John Williams picks up nominations in original dramatic score for Cinderella Liberty. Uh-huh. He picks up a nomination for Tom Sawyer, in which he shares the nomination with the Sherman brothers. Wow. You know, uh, for, for all this John Williams stuff, I know I don't really know a lot of his early Oscar nominated music. I need to go back and look to listen to some of it. Yeah. Cause in a couple of years, he just kind of takes off into blockbuster territory. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, this is the Disney Tom Sawyer. So, I I have watched that film multiple times and did not realize John Williams had anything to do with it. <laughs> so we're just going to go back to uh, Jason Platt last week. John Williams scored our entire childhood. <laughs> uh, and yeah. then John Williams shares an Academy Award nomination for Cinderella Liberty for the song parentheses, you or so, in parentheses, nice to be around. Aww. And he shares that with the great Paul Williams. Oh. The Williams brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see the whole Williams family getting in on the action. Mm. Um, all right. So best costume design goes to Edith Head for the sting. Good Lord. What she got like 10 of those now. She ends up with eight. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> Not 100% sure, but this might be the last one. Oh, wow. Uh, if someone wants to fact check me on that, feel free. I'll look that up later. Okay. 
Uh, best sound goes to The Exorcist, beating out The Sting. Best art direction goes to The Sting, beating out The Exorcist. Best cinematography, very deservedly, goes to Sven Nykvist for Cries and Whispers. Mm-hmm. And best film editing goes to The Sting. And uh, I also want to put down in best film editing, uh, American Graffiti gets nominated, and uh, George Lucas's ex-wife, Marsha Lucas, is the editor on that. Oh, well, there you go. I'm going to butcher this poor man's last name, and I apologize. Our first honorary award goes to Henri Langlois. Langlois. Henri. Henri. For his devotion to the art of film, his massive contribution in preserving its past, and his unswerving faith (laughs) in its future. It wavers, but it doesn't swerve. No, it does not. I saw that W there, and I just went with it. (laughs) This is a pretty small print, though. Uh, our second honorary award goes to the greatest hero of my life, Groucho Marx, in recognition of his brilliant creativity and for the unequaled achievements of the Marx Brothers in the art of motion picture comedy. Aw, wonderful. Groucho Marx uh, accepts his honors, saying, I wish Harpo and Chico were here to share this great honor, and I wish Margaret Dumont was here too. She was a great straight woman, even though she never got any of my jokes. No special achievement award given this year. The Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award goes to Lawrence Weingarten. And the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award goes to Lou Wasserman. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. Fucking A, this was a good movie. Fucking A, this was a <laughs> <Yeah>. good movie. <laughs> so like so here's it. something I want to bring up. So when we talked about the French connection, we had talked about how it being just a cop movie and us, me especially being kind of jaded to the cop movie genre. Yep. Um, this was a heist movie. Essentially, yeah. Um, and it was still a goddamn great heist movie. And I have seen many a heist movie. So... and. And according to David S. Ward, who wrote the script, apparently he wasn't seeing a bunch of heist. He wasn't seeing any movies about con men and decided that somebody needed to write it. <laughs> and I'm yeah. glad he did. Yeah. I, I find it really impressive that there. I mean, he's the only credited writer yeah. on this. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I want to temper what I say about it too much because even though it is an old movie, I feel like. I did not it, feel it, like it. <laughs> it it twists so many ways that. All right, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it and then come back and listen to the episode because I don't want to spoil it. But we're probably yeah. going to end up spoiling it because oh, okay. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> we've we've discussed many times. This is a spoiler podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're reviewing the movie top to bottom. If you haven't seen it, please don't. Please don't be upset. Not that we've yeah. had anybody say anything about that. <laughs> I had a young child throw a rock at me for, um, spoiling a. Uh, I, I lost. I'm lying. So I, don't <laughs> I was I was hoping you were going to say Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> uh, if I were some seven year old, the streets just like that's my favorite movie. <laughs> you didn't tell me about Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but no, I mean. 
even heist movies are one of those things I, I always enjoy. And yeah, you do get those twists uh, nine times out of 10, like somebody gets shot and oh no, they're not actually shot in almost, almost every heist movie. Right. Um, but in this one, it wasn't the heist itself. It was the characters in this film. Yeah. Like just so many good characters in this movie. Yeah. And Paul Newman and Robert Redford just made to be on movie screens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they were physically crafted in a lab (laughs) to be film stars. It's nuts. My wife just walks by. She's like, Robert Redford. And like, I could just hear her just. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're so beautiful. They cloned Robert Redford to make Brad Pitt. So it's like, you know, seriously. And then they put him in a movie to come. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now this movie, like again, I enjoy it when they they put that older setting from its current time, so that it it's not necessarily timeless, but pretty much so that you're not it's not bogged down by trying to be modern and then ending up being kind of screwed for that later on, right? Um, but. Yeah, I oh man, I really like this movie a lot. Like, this is one I'm probably gonna sit down and watch a couple more times, yeah. just to it, just to enjoy. Yeah, like like I said, I'd watched it five years ago, and I mean, I remembered what happens in the end, and I remembered most of the points along the way. But watching it after knowing, you know, the twists and things, you, yeah, it so well acted, so well written that you still can't really see the tells of like what's, what's going to happen. I mean, everybody plays it so straight and yeah, when, really sells it. When they take, when Charles Durning takes a uh, Robert Redford into the FBI headquarters. Yeah. And yeah. And at no point does it feel like those guys are in on any grift. Yeah. Right. And it's so good. Yeah, you know, and even even the moments where you know the guys are in on the grift and are doing goofy things, like when the two guys go in to paint the office, <laughs> it's just so it's just so silly and charming. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know uh, the um, the old ragtime music and the the layover, like the Saturday Evening Post, uh, yep, page turns and stuff. It's just so it's so charming and. Uh, fun it's just a fun thing to watch yeah oh yeah um yeah another thing uh was ray walston born old yes because (laughs) i'm pretty sure he has just always been old he's he's looked like that since he was born yeah okay i just want to make sure because i you know, you think back of like things that he did in like the nineties and he looked exactly like he did in this movie. Exactly the same. 20 years later. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I, I was just thinking about that you know, like I was just looking at a picture of him just now. Yeah. <laughs> Always been old. Every, every single day of his life. <laughs> I also want to find out if this is the uh, the first in- instance of the black partner getting killed at the beginning of the movie. Oh, uh, is this the is this the film that set up that trope? 
Yeah. Oh. That dude got fridged way quick. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'll admit to like a lot of cringe at the beginning because it just like they threw the N-word around so fucking much. But then after he died, literally everybody loved that guy. Like yeah. everybody loved that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, they hated him in Joliet. So yeah. Uh Robert Redford runs to Chicago where everyone loved him. <laughs> yeah. Joliet's not not as close to Chicago as Joliet wants to think it is. <laughs> and I, I'd forgot uh, that uh James Earl Jones's father. <gasps> yeah. yeah. It sure is. Sure is. Robert Earl Jones. Yeah, and God, he was he was really good in the role till he, he got fridged. Yeah. yeah. After minute <clears throat> six. <clears throat> Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. And and again with me, you know, and how I feel about time, this movie I was all in the entire time. I don't think there was really anything that dragged on at all. Yeah. I mean, kind of kind of starts you in a good place. You you're getting all the the number runners talking to each other and then the one guy steps out of the office and gets grifted immediately. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, it, and it starts with a grift and it ends with a grift. And man, it it's a good ride from from start to finish. Every really little yeah. every little plot beat is just good. It's quick and crisp as Robert Redford's running. Guys, oh, yeah. <laughs> man, <laughs> the only See, thing Tom, that really bugged me was uh, the street sweeper. It just seemed <laughs> way too modern to be at the time that it was. Like I looked at the back of that edge and I was like, no. That's true. <laughs> like I enjoyed the scene. I just liked how he was hidden on it, but no. Like, that was anachronism at its finest. <laughs> it's probably just driving by and he just used it for his like, not even supposed to be in the movie. They were just cleaning up the 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 back lot universal. <laughs> They're like, oh shoot, I forgot they were shooting a movie today. No, 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 just just keep going. <laughs> Quick, we needed a Deus Ex Machina. Bring it. <laughs> so I'd, I'd forgotten um, that George Roy Hill had directed Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Also, yeah. So yeah, he- teaming up with the same actors again. Yeah, obviously I, think I, some... I think I mentioned that in that episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you did. You said we'll see um, them, see them again. Because man, George Roy Hill knows how to make scumbags look real cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just between this and Butch Cassidy, just a bunch of scumbaggery. Mm. Mm. And I mean, oh. like, and that's the thing about this movie, like. They're all criminals. Every yeah. person you see in this movie is a criminal. Literally every single character. <laughs> yeah. Like, but like, and, and you're like, oh, uh, his his partner, you know, you see his family, and then later on in the movie, they're like, oh, by the way, his wife, also a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, we're in a, you know, a streak here uh, to start the 70s of a, you know, crime a lot of organized crime yeah and you know with the godfather obviously we also have a bunch of criminals that you can't help but love and cheer for um it's interesting yeah 
See, the thing is, though, like, pretty big, compa- or thin comparison between, like, you know, fucking mobster monsters. Yeah, yeah. Versus grifters. I mean, yeah. The, these yeah. are just a bunch of people that, I mean, taking advantage of suckers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, and they take care of the big sucker, so it's you know you, you don't feel too bad about it. I mean, yeah, yeah, you you get to watch them. Essentially, you, Robert Shaw's character in this could be compared to someone like Sonny Corleone. Sure, uh, hmm. and it's Robert Shaw, so with a not you know, great Irish accent. But I don't know if it was not great or if it was just subtle. It, it was very subtle. Yeah. It it was a very light Irish accent because yeah. he because he, he was born in New York. And he the lived in Ireland was. some. Uh, well, he said Robert he was Shaw. From, he, well, oh, it was uh, Robert Shaw's character was, uh, and this is once again me turning movies into reality. But when they said he lived in Five Points, I think of Gangs of New York. <laughs> exactly what I thought of too. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, so he's from New York, right? So. I don't know if he just had an Irish, like freshly immigrated family and he was born here or, I mean, or if he came there from, there's the good chance he, he was brought here as a young boy, as an Irish, young Irish boy and uh, lived in a very Irish neighborhood and just kept his accent because that's who he lived around. Yeah. Especially it's 1930s and he's, he was 51 when he died in 78. Eight, so he's in his forties at this point. So mm. I mean, he's grown up in New York in the late eighteen hundreds. Sure. So that's more than possible. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do want to watch Kings of New York again, though. I enjoy that movie. Yeah. Two thousand two gets nominated. It does. That's right. And we will be talking about it on Thursday. Yay! Will you be? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Scorsese films. That's right. Yeah, I might want to be on that one just. To- Give me another reason to watch that. Absolutely. I love that movie. It's so bad. Um, So anyway, um, again, with these movies (laughs) that we all agree on, like, what do you talk about? What do you say about a movie that is just good? Yeah. I mean, I, and I feel like this wins all the right awards editing. Yeah. So well edited art direction. That backlot looks incredible. There, yep. there are times I forgot it was a backlot. There are other yeah. times where mm-hmm. I can see it very clearly. <laughs> uh, Edith Head wins for costume design. So, yeah, that's great. The Marvin Hamlish ad- adaptation score is so, so wonderful. Yep. I love all the Scott Joplin. Uh, yeah. Uh, and also, I was craving ice cream through the whole thing. Uh, script. Oh, my God. This script is tight. Yep. Yeah. The dialogue is crisp and well done. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the script, do you know who is responsible for finding this script? No. Who? Uh, a one man named Rob Cohen. You probably know Rob Cohen best as the director of The Fast and the Furious in 2001. What? Okay. Apparently, he was working as a script reader. For a producer oh. and found this script in a pile of just discarded scripts. Holy crap. Picked it up. It was like, this is one of the greatest American scripts ever written. You need to get this produced and staked his. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do your magic, Trav. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and uh, essentially, he staked his job on this script. Yeah. And man, did it pay off. Yeah. No, I think we've, we've yeah. talked about our favorite um, awards, and mine is original screenplay. And I just love a well-written um, movie. And it's helped along by the fact that you got a couple or three amazing lead actors delivering the lions um, with Redford and Newman and Shaw. They're, they're just all. <laughs> I, I would like to put Charles Durning's name in that hat. He's so good. Oh, in yeah. This movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just like the, the poker scenes are cool. The horse race, the fake horse race scenes are cool. It, it's so good. And that's, uh, I, I just can't recommend it high enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's down the line. This is quite near a perfect film. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's a lot of, um, like, like you'd mentioned, Paul, your, your dad, um, mentioning it to you when you're back in high school and, um, Caitlin's dad was, he comes over every once in a while. And he's like, Hey, have you seen this movie or write this down on your list? And the sting was one of the ones he'd told Caitlin, not knowing that she'd already seen it, but like, it's, it's one that's got broad appeal. It was super popular the year it came out and it continues to be <clears throat> popular. I, th- I think anybody of any age could enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's just a cool movie. Yeah. And everybody in it is cool as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. 100%. Uh, any other notes, gentlemen? No, I got my Rob Cohen one in. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, <laughs> yeah, it was, was the weirdest fact to learn today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we already know that the guy can find other people's scripts. We've seen Fast and Furious. Yeah, and Triple X. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I hate that movie. <laughs> you know what? I, Dragonheart. Mm. Wait, he directed Dragonheart? What? Well, I'm he, looking at his, his, his list. Yeah. He directed Notable work uh, directed by Rob Cohen. Yep. Oh, cool. Fuck. I love that movie. Yeah. It's a good, good movie. At least I did as a kid. All right. Uh, Paul. Yes. Is this in the library? This is. <gasps> Yay. Would you two like to give me a year? I was feeling uh, 1995. 2012. Uh, Zach gets the prices right, but neither of you are close. Okay. 2005. Okay. Mm, I, yeah, reasonable. I, I, I had a feeling it was going to be in the 2000s because honestly, yeah. I'd never heard of this movie before. Oh, that's that's impressive. Yeah. Um, no, I love this film. There's a really good community episode that's a parody of this film. Oh, great. Now I have to go back and rewatch Community again. Oh, no. Damn it. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> uh, and to let you know, Matt Berry is in that episode. Mr. Sunshine? As, yeah, as the uh <laughs> as the one getting grifted. And uh it's one of the episodes with Keith David, so you know who the best part of that episode is. Indeed. Awesome. All right. So other films in the Library of Congress for 1973 are American Graffiti, which goes in in 95. Uh, oh, there, that's why I was feeling 95. There you go. Uh Badlands, the Terrence Malick film. Goes in in 93. Uh, Enter the Dragon. The Exorcist. Frank film. Animated short subject. (laughs) Apparently this Frank film is really good. I'm (laughs) going to check this out. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets, which of course is our subject this week on Thursday. Mm -hmm. 
Stick around tomorrow for Thursdays. Yeah. Uh, Zach, you will be guessing that the year on that one. Okay. Uh, no lies, a short subject. I don't know how to pronounce this. PG. It's spelled P E E G E, also a short subject. Peak. The spook who sat by the door, which the spook is a really interesting double entendre in this point. Uh, the sting. And Watt Stacks, the documentary, which went in in 2020. I'm now doubly upset. Why is that? We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. So, all right. All right. Well, let's get into our worsty judgments. And Zach, I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, Man, it <laughs> happened again. <laughs> <laughs> we even asked it at the top of the show. <laughs> uh, does this movie deserve Best Picture? All right, so we'll look at the nominees first. We got uh, A Touch of Class, which is the one that I did not watch uh, because I looked at some of the posters and a little bit of a trailer, and I saw it didn't have a super high rating. That was the, that was the only principle. I was like, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'll let Paul do the hard work if he's going to watch that. <laughs> you know, it was like a buck 45 so no okay i'll I'll get to it not bad um so the next four it's kind of hard for me to rank a little bit uh i really liked american graffiti it was my first time ever watching it to be honest i'd i'd owned it forever and i don't know why i hadn't watched it but i really enjoyed it it was hard to believe (laughs) It's, it's harsh to say this but the writing it's like george lucas can write characters like this um uh and the direction's really good, and it's just got so much good music and good acting and um, cool cars, and yeah, I liked it. Uh, hmm, my third spot, I'm still like deciding as I'm sitting here. As much of a Bergman fan as I am, and I, I do love some Bergman, and I do love Sven Nyquist or Nyquist, um, and I really enjoyed Cries and Whispers, but I don't think it's one of Bergman's best. I think it was one of those, like he's had some really great stuff that the Academy hasn't nominated for best picture before, like, you know, the seventh seal or, mm-hmm. or uh, wild strawberries and stuff like that. Right. So it's like, okay, we need to, you know, make sure we honor him. I, I really enjoy it, but it's, it's one of those ones that I would never, it's hard to recommend to people because it's so raw and upsetting, but God, it's beautiful and sad and, I, I sit down, um, bundle up with a blanket and get in touch with my Nordic roots and uh, get, get really <laughs> depressed and turn off all the lights. The use of red in that movie is so alarming. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie where the scene transitions go anything other than black. So for it to go red every time. Yeah, Jonathan, you thought that one scene in West Side Story used a lot of red? <laughs> yeah. Cries and Whispers makes that look good. Yeah. The whole look, makes that look colorful. The whole house is red, and then every scene transition is red. Um, so that'll be my three, and then I have to go put in the Exorcist at number two. Um, it it uh technically holds up really well, but also watching it, a lot of the uh, scary stuff comes off more as cringy, little, but not not too bad, not too bad. But it's still, I'm I'm glad it was nominated. It's got some beautiful uh shots and um really good acting 
and some cool sets and stuff that, you know, obviously very influential. But the Sting is the best of the nominees. I think I would have uh, swapped out A Touch of Class and given Badlands a a Best Picture nomination because Terrence Malick, I think it was his debut. And if it was his debut, it's one of the best debuts I've seen. And it's probably his most accessible film, too. I think that's right. Um, You know, obviously he gets weirder and more pretentious as the years go by. But this one, this Badlands is not that. It is very new Hollywood. It's got car chases and it's got a badass Martin Sheen. Um, Something we all always want. Yes, with amazing hair. I'm so jealous of his hair. <sighs> so I would have given that uh, nomination. But the real winner should have been Coffee because Pam Greer. Um, no, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> no, this thing definitely should have won. This thing is an incredible movie and it deserved Best Picture. All right. The Sting deserved Best Picture. The Exorcist was a better movie. Hmm. Charlotte's Web was better than all of them. And <laughs> Hell yeah, Charlotte's Web. If if not just for Paul Lynn as Templeton, I don't understand how Charlotte's Web not only didn't get attention from the Academy, which they only have like what the the shorts for cartoons at this point are animated shorts. Right. Yeah. So okay. But the fact that the library has not even acknowledged Charlotte's Web pisses me off even more. Mm. Um, and the fact that Enter the Dragon's not even fucking nominated for Best Foreign Language is, boggles my mind as well. So, I don't know, maybe I might look next year to see if that's something that happens, but... I, I think it's American-produced. Is it? And I, I, I'm not sure it's in... I don't think it's in Chinese. Mandarin or Cantonese. Mm, mm, it's been a so. while. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's in that movie. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was produced by uh, Warner Brothers. So, okay. Well, but anyway. That's why, that's why it's in the registry. Okay. Um, that makes sense. But the fact that Charlotte Schweppes not... It, it, disheartening. Very disheartening. So, yeah. yes... It does deserve Best Picture. It is a great film. Um, I'm I'm surprised that the Academy even thought about The Exorcist, mm-hmm. which just kind of makes it shine even more. Um, because I mean, how many horror films really get put up for Best Picture? Next to none. Yeah. So to to see that in itself, I think is just kind of makes it, like I said, shine even more. Um, so yeah. All right. Um, okay, I did watch Touch Class, and it sucks. <laughs> it's a bad movie for bad people. I always love it when you say something sucks. It just Charlotte Webb need to go there. Charlotte's Web or Mean Streets or oh yeah, I haven't seen Badlands, but I know its reputation, and I think I take that seriously. It's just it's kind of charming for the first act, and then the second act kind of kicks in, and it loses all of its charm. Mm. immediately it it does this 180 the moment it shifts gears and it's like what the fuck just happened to this movie (laughs) uh it's confusing and i really like george siegel he's not great in this film i don't know how glinda jackson got nominated or won best actress she's okay in this movie but the things they're asking her to do really take a toll on me maybe that's how she got it because 
I don't know. The movie's terrible. Yeah. I don't understand how this made it here. What, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did, did you say Ellen Bernstein was nominated or was she even? She was nominated for The Exorcist, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, and she was apparently the front runner. At least everybody thought so. Her or Marsha Mason for Cinderella Liberty and Glinda Jackson came, swept in and mm-hmm. managed to pull up upset that nobody saw coming. Interesting. Uh, but the movie's not good. It, I mean, first off, you're dealing with George Siegel's characters cheating on his wife very openly. And, you know, I'm, the problem is you're supposed to root for him and her to be together, or at least the film wants you to, and then they don't end up together at the end, and the film's like, this is what we wanted all along. No, that's not what you were showing us. <laughs> so, I don't like it. It's a bad movie. shouldn't be here. Um, my number four is Cries and Whispers. I also did not like that film. I think it's beautiful and it has incredible performances across the board. I think Bergman went a little too overboard with the red. Yeah. <laughs> it was just hitting you over the head with its symbolism. It's like, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, I guess. Uh, but most of the dramatic tension I just found boring and overwrought. And yeah, that's very I, fair. I, yeah, I just couldn't get on board with it. And I, I like Bergman a lot. And I and I appreciate that the film was a big swing, especially knowing that like he did it as kind of a tribute to his mother. I'll respect it as I'll respect it as a swing, and I can I can also respect it as a miss. Too many mouth noises also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was oh god there's the one dream sequence with anna the maid the lady in waiting whatever she is where the two sisters are just kind of standing in the room dumbstruck against the wall and the only sound is her breathing really heavy <laughs> oh god stop this <laughs> stop this <laughs> and it goes yeah. on for like Two minutes of just oh, God. <sighs> <laughs> All right, let's to be fair, I've had to edit that crap out for my own, and that shit sucks. Because you have to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure again, why this is the one to get a best picture nomination for him, but I yeah. Uh, and I think it I think it's exactly what you said. A bunch of movie nerds are now getting into the uh into the academy. And a bunch of movie nerds are like, Ingmar Bergman's never been never been respected by the Academy, so we're <laughs> going to show them the respect. And maybe they absolutely love this in 1973. I don't like it in 2021. Fair. Uh, but again, I respect it. It's, it's a swing and it's a miss, but at least it was, it had something to say. It said it, and I can move on from that film. Yep. All right. Uh, my number three is American Graffiti. What a fun movie. Just a lot of fun. I enjoy that movie. Yeah, it's uh, a good one, Jack. I remember seeing that movie because I got a Star Wars making of VHS, which is sitting on my shelf right over here mm-hmm. uh, for free out of the cereal box. Or not out of the cereal box, but I like sent in cereal QPCs to get it. Oh, nice. And, uh, they had an interview with uh, Harrison Ford in it, and he was comparing his character in this to Han Solo. I was like, 
wait, hold on. Harrison Ford and the guy who in uh, the director of Star Wars made a, another movie together. Gotta see this. <laughs> uh, so, so I did, and I think it's just a, a fun movie. Uh, yeah, there's really not much else to say about it. It's just a bunch of dudes having a good time. It, it definitely. There's not a lot of other films like it, and uh, yeah, good job. Uh, my number four number is two. the sting or number two or my number two. Oh. However, that works. Oh. My number two is the sting. Yeah. I think the exorcist is a perfect film, right? Uh. <laughs> my God, from top <laughs> to bottom. Oh my God. Like I get what you're saying, Zach, where some of the scary things are kind of cringy in today's standard, but I really have to take my, myself back to what we've seen. Yeah. And what the fuck that film must have been in 1973 because <laughs> yo yeah. like people were like throwing up in the theater like people were like scared of this movie when it came out like it legit fucked people up and, mm. and some of like yeah there's a couple of cringy moments and they were like yeah maybe we didn't need to do that but holy shit, they did that <laughs> no, in 1973. This, this movie went hard and didn't fucking stop. Yeah, like if Jordan Peele put that in a movie, like the the, the masturbating with the crucifix, yeah. uh, if he would have put that in a movie today, I probably would have been like, come on, Jordan Peele, what are we doing? But just putting myself in a, a 1973 mindset, I cannot believe they got that way with that shit. Yeah. And then got nominated for best picture for it, like, which just makes me respect it more. <laughs> um, no, I because because they take so long to get into the the possession. Yeah, they really take their time letting you live with Chris and Reagan, and getting uh, letting you live with uh, uh, the father uh, Damien father Karis, he they let you get to know these characters really well so that by the time the third act rolls around and she's fully possessed you care right and uh i just always i also thought it was really nice that they based this movie off of uh d snyder's screen name from strangeland <laughs> i did i did that just to make job that angry. Anytime I think of that movie, I just hey, that movie was so bad that it ended an entire uh, an entire studio. So good, good. Um, uh, so what I was gonna ask, um, like I don't know one one of my mild criticisms is I feel like uh, the movie kind of fucked Linda Blair up a bit, uh, and that's that's a real possibility, and. You know, I mean, but I don't know. It's she, she comes back for sequels. Yeah. Um, not to say that, you know, it, it didn't, but I don't think it was Friedkin's doing more than it was just kind of the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, you're asking a, essentially a preteen to do some extreme things. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the seventies, it's, there's not people looking out for, children the way they should and i mean not to say yeah. that that doesn't go on today because it i mean yeah yeah look at look at how many young stars from the 2000s are just fucked up beyond belief absolutely but yeah 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly haven't done too much research into Linda Blair's mental state. And I, I think she's really, okay now. So it's not like lasting stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, the film is extreme, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was, I don't think it was freaking's intention to torture her the way that other directors do that kind of thing. The, yeah. Like especially Kubrick. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking Bernardo Bertolucci for the last tango in Paris, who gets nominated for best director. this okay. year. Oh. Sure. Him and him and Brando are apparently horrible to the, the lead actress in that film. Hmm. Things, things I don't really want to go into right now because right. Um, that's just a whole other conversation. Yeah. I um, think thankfully a lot of the, you know, you got the voiceover work. So Linda Blair is not having to scream those obscenities and horrible things herself. So sure. For the most part, <laughs> which was a uh, best supporting actress winner, Mercedes McCambridge from uh, all the oh, Kings. <laughs> wow. Okay. I just, <laughs> didn't realize that so yeah um also what that being said i i i think the exorcist is a perfect film and if i learn otherwise about uh friedkin and blair's relationship i will immediately change my mind Hmm. yeah didn't make like 400 million dollars or something 800 800 million uh that's that's, probably 800 lifetime because remember they possibly They re-released it in the late '90s, early 2000s, with the added, like her doing the spider walk backwards down the stairs oh, and all that. Oh, sh- yeah, um, 441 million. Yeah, on a 12 million budget, that's that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. So anyway, yeah. The question was, do I think Sting deserved Best Picture? Yeah, it did. This movie's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. Um, yeah, The Exorcist might be my favorite film, the film that I personally would have given Best Picture to this year because it it's one of those it's one of those benchmarks in horror that really changes the genre. Yeah, um, to the point where there's a couple of that'll come out in the next few years where they just kept stepping over each other until Evil Dead comes out, and then everybody's like, "Well, how? Did, what?" <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, yeah, the Sting deserved Best Picture. It's so cool. I love this movie. All right. Well, Zach, is this the worst Best Picture? (laughs) No. No, it's not. Not at all. I think it's in my top five. Um, Nice. I have to double check that, but definitely top ten. And I I had to give a shout out also to uh, The Holy Mountain and Fantastic Planet, which came out this year. Uh, I don't know if they did. There was a lot that came out that year. Like Westworld, the Michael Crichton directed one came out that year as well. Serpico, Bang the Drum Slowly. Like, I mean, there was a lot that came out. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last Detail, another one I probably would have put in the best picture race. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, not the the worst. You think? You think? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree. most likely in my top 10, probably not top five. Um, I do enjoy a fun film and this movie was fun. So yeah, Paul, cool. No, this is not the worst best picture. It's, it's fun. It's breezy. It's a good time. It's got the 
two of the most beautiful men that ever existed in it. Um, if if they wouldn't have fridged the black character at the very beginning of the movie, I would have ranked it a lot higher. Mm. They did that, and it's sitting at my number twenty-one. Okay, nice. Right under All About Eve, right above An American in Paris. Oh, well, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and we will call that here for this evening. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and on twitch.tv at altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, or TikTok at House Havoc. Paul? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterbox, where I keep a running tally of all the films I've watched. I didn't watch anything extra this week, so I don't have a fun thing to say. And I keep a, my rankings of all the best picture winners at Father of the Fear across all platforms. Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we're watching The Godfather Part 2, which Yay. should be on Peacock. It was, but then I Googled it and it wasn't listed. I don't know what's going on with Peacock because they took away The Exorcist in the middle of watching it. <laughs> Yeah, Netflix took away Hunter Hunter yesterday for some strange reason. I was almost done with the damn thing. Ah, Jerks. Damn. They'll they'll all probably be back. Yeah, they should be on Peacock. But if not, you can uh, stream it on Amazon with a premium subscription or rent on Google Play, Vudu, or YouTube. We would like to thank Trad from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork, which we finally got updated you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at oscar pod and on facebook at the oscar podcast and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review on apple podcasts and stitcher it really helps us to be more visible in the almighty rhythm of al gore almighty rhythm algorithm find us in the algorithm for jonathan zach and the underrated charles Durning. I like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>